In the gospel today, Jesus boldly declares that this is the time of fulfillment. What does he mean when he says this? Well, he tells us that he is announcing the arrival of the kingdom of God. Which is to say, he's announcing the arrival of the presence of God in the world. That is, Jesus himself. The time of fulfillment has arrived because God himself has come to us in Jesus. God has come to restore his creation through Jesus. But Jesus could have phrased this in many other ways. He could have said, this is the time of salvation, or this is the time of God's presence, or this is the beginning of a new age. But instead, he chose the word fulfillment, which implies that there was something already in existence that needed completed. As surprising and startling and unexpected as the Incarnation was and is, Jesus is not speaking of himself as something altogether new or different, but as someone who is the culmination and the climax of something that came before. A hint to what Jesus means here is given to us by the Church in the pairing of the first and second readings for this Sunday. The first reading from Genesis speaks of Noah and how God made a covenant with Noah never again to wipe the earth clean with a flood. The second reading from the first letter of Peter tells us that the flood of Noah was a prefigurement of the sacrament of baptism. Before I discuss the relationship between the two, a quick aside. The flood of Noah occurs in the first part of the book of Genesis, which most Catholic theologians today consider to be mythical, not literal. But in theology, as in literature, the word mythical does not mean fabricated or made up. Mythical refers to a style of writing, which seeks to convey truth and meaning through symbol. So we absolutely believe that the first chapters of the book of Genesis are true. We just do not believe that they are historical. These 11 chapters are the divinely inspired word of God, and they do reveal God's nature to us. They simply do so through symbol and story, rather than any sort of historical account. So, before we try to understand how the flood can prefigure baptism, we have to try to understand the meaning of the flood on its own. What are the symbols involved? What was the author of the book of Genesis trying to convey? The story of Noah describes God as being sorry that he ever created human beings because of the constant wickedness in the minds of men, which is why God resolves to destroy mankind with a flood. But Genesis also shows in the same story that God always seeks to protect 
what is good in his creation. Since he ensures that the animals and plants, along with Noah and his family, will survive the flood. Interpreted most simply, the story of Noah and the flood teaches us that God loves what is good and hates what is evil, and that he will protect what is good and destroy what is evil. But the resolution of the story, which is our first reading today, adds to this lesson the idea that even though God will fight against evil, he will not do it at the expense of the good. That's what this covenant with Noah means. When he says, I will never again send a flood over the earth, he's saying he will never again destroy indiscriminately. In other words, God will allow the good and the evil to coexist, even while he protects what is good and destroys what is evil in other ways. Which brings us to the first letter of Peter. The flood was both destructive and salvific. The destruction is obvious, of course. But we often forget that the flood saved Noah and his sons. I didn't say the ark saved Noah and his sons. I said the flood saved Noah and his sons. How? Because the water saved the righteous family from the corrupting influence of the rest of mankind. And here it prefigures baptism. Baptism is destructive to all that is evil in us and salvific for all that is good. Baptism drowns the evil and allows the good to live and to flourish. Baptism is how God protects the good and destroys the evil without indiscriminately destroying the good with a flood. Baptism is the great flood lived out in all of us, purifying our hearts. And, as with all things that are fulfillments of something that came before, baptism ends up being the greater, more powerful, and more foundational purification. Noah's flood, with all its destructive power, pales in comparison to the power that can rid us of sin and unite us to God in Christ. So now we can ask again, what does Jesus mean when he says that this is the time of fulfillment? Jesus is telling us that everything that God has done so far from the Exodus to the Babylonian exile, from the prophets to the temple, all of these great and glorious happenings have come to their predetermined conclusion with the arrival of the kingdom of God in Christ. See, the second that our first parents got kicked out of the Garden of Eden, God set in motion a plan to restore them to their original dignity. And beyond this, to bring them into his divine life. God worked slowly with humanity, first through a few holy individuals, then eventually through twelve tribes and the Jewish nation. Intervention after intervention, revelation after revelation, God slowly prepared his people for his final definitive salvific action, 
the sending of his son. And here he is, the kingdom of God in the flesh, Jesus of Nazareth, announcing that he brings with him the fulfillment of God's plan. Every story, every image, every prophet up until now, all pointed to Jesus. And Jesus takes them and makes them more meaningful, more powerful, more salvific. This is only possible in the mystery of God. Somehow, God's actions in history can be meaningful on their own, in their own time, while also being preparations for something even more meaningful in Christ. The story of the flood is meaningful in its own right, but even more so when it is fulfilled in baptism. The story of Joshua conquering the Canaanites and securing the promised land is meaningful in its own right, but even more so when Yeshua, the new Joshua, that is Jesus, secures the promised land for the Jews and conquers the Gentiles through the cross. The presence of God in the Holy of Holies in the temple is meaningful in itself, but even more so when God creates a temple for himself out of our nature and pitches his tent among us in our own flesh. These were glorious events, made all the more glorious in Christ, who shows us their true meaning. And now, today, this is the time of fulfillment. We are so blessed to live with the knowledge of God's plan to be able to see how it reached its climax in Jesus. How can we ever respond to such an incredible time, such an incredible gift? Well, we can listen to the Lord. We can do what he tells us to do. This Lent, we can repent and believe in the gospel. 